All right, well, I'm going to invite my lovely bride up. If you will come, Elena, come on up. Yeah, you can welcome her. She is the most beautiful human on the planet. I may be just a smidge biased, but uh, that's okay. I can be, right? Um, this, we started a series last week uh, called It's Complicated. So how many of you have ever been in a relationship or have seen a relationship, maybe a status on social media notated as it's complicated? Yes. Okay. Some of you, uh, I think we could all admit that relationships really, whether you're talking about a husband and wife, you know, kiddos, coworkers, um, relatives that you may have encountered this week, some of those relationships can be complicated, right? Um, so we're, we started last week really by talking about uh, the subject of trust and forgiveness. How many got something out of that last week? Did you? Hey, Amen. I did too. I got a bruise on my right hip. Um, and if you missed the message last week, you will have to watch the message to find out why I have a bruise on my right hip. It took me a while to get that um, when he told me that. It's more yeah. than I said, you have a bruise on your hip? Did you wrestle with the Lord? What? Uh, <laughs> God put my hip out of socket. No, it wasn't him. It was my fault. Um, but in the series, we talked about tackling some complicated subjects. And what we're going to do together, as we did last week, is take God's word to help uncomplicate it. Because uh, really, when we apply God's word and his truth to our relationships, it does get a lot easier, a lot faster. And I, can I get an amen? Amen. amen. So um, I'm going to set the backdrop with the, the scripture that we used last week from 1 Corinthians 13 that you're all familiar with. I just think it's important as we look at relationships of any type to understand what is the heart of God to us in our relationships always based on? Love, unconditional love. When we talk about relationships between us and humanity, we always have to start with love. And it's clearly defined here in 1 Corinthians 13, verse 4. So I just want to read it over you. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. And if you do all of that, love never fails. And what we're talking about today is going to be around the subject of the power of our words, the power of our thoughts in our relationships. Um, there are roughly 800,000 words in the English language. Anybody know that? It's a lot of words. About 300,000 of them are more scientific type jargon, stuff that we wouldn't use in, in communication. I probably know five scientific yeah. words. <laughs> Photosynthesis. Hey. <laughs> It's pretty good. Um, so that leaves us about half a million words that we have available to us. But uh, studies show that the average person only knows about 10,000 words and only uses about 5,000 in everyday language. I think in East Texas, that number is probably slightly less. Probably um, less. I feel, yeah. <laughs> I feel, and I'm talking about me. Like, I don't I, think, yeah. I don't think I know 5,000 words. I don't, you um, don't say it. At home, he doesn't speak a whole lot. So yeah. he talks a lot here, but when he gets home, it's like. I run out of words. Super chill. You know, <laughs> I use my quota and it's. That's it's it. Gone. Um, so this week we're going to talk about 
those words. And we're going to talk about them in the context of our relationships with our thought life and our spoken word, what we speak. And so the title of today's message in this series of It's Complicated is called More Than Words. So, honey, if you'll start us off by praying. Yeah, thank you, Father God, so much for the opportunity to just be here, to be in your house. Regardless of what's going on around us in the outside world, we still get to be in your house, praising you and loving you and hearing what you have to say. And God, I just pray today that you would open the ears of those here, that they would hear what you have to say. Not what we're speaking, but what you are speaking to their hearts. Let them be open and let them be receptive, Father God. But more than that, Lord, let your anointing fall. Let the power of your Holy Spirit be present in this moment and in this time right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm so excited that today I woke up with just an excitement. I woke up thinking, oh my gosh, we get to go to church and we get to talk about the Lord. And I just had this excitement about me. And um, I don't know if y'all, I'm sure everybody's heard of Stephen Furtick, but he has this one track that he plays called I Can Handle It. And so that's kind of like my like, okay, I'm going to go to the boxing rings with this. Like I can listen to it and like, okay, we're fisting to go. Like, let's go. And so I listened to it this morning and kind of pumped myself up. She was unusually fired up this morning. I was um, kind of fired up. I'm not a morning person. So I told her, give me time. I'll get there with you. <laughs> I have to pull it back a little bit. Cause I'm like, okay, I gotta give him time to catch up with me. And so our first question today that we're going to, that we're going to talk about is what are you thinking? What were you thinking? What your, th- our thoughts in our world, I mean, we think so much. We think a lot more than what we say. So well, much of our time, yeah, so much of our time is caught up in what we're thinking. And so as we begin thinking and praying about what we we're going to speak about, we, we knew we were going to talk about the power of our words. And as I was meditating on that, I felt like kind of like, you know, when you have a camera and you go to take a picture, you zoom in. And I felt like God wanted, wanted to go, okay, let's zoom out a little bit. And before we have, you know, our words, we have thoughts that we think. And so it's very important that in our relationship and in our thought life that we learn how to control what we're thinking and the thought process that goes on inside of our minds because it affects every single part of our life. Your thought life affects your relationships. It, it affects your families. It affects your coworkers, like your thought life affects every single thing around you. Isaiah 26.3 says, you keep him in perfect peace. I love that. All who trust you and all whose thoughts are fixed on you. What the scripture is saying that is if I can keep my thoughts fixed on the Lord, then he's going to keep me in perfect peace. Like who wants... I want to be in perfect peace, right? And it's saying all I have to do is keep my thoughts fixed on the Lord. And I have to be honest with you. Like if you had a scale of one to 100 and you graded your thought life, if I did this to myself, probably 75 to 80% of my thought life is probably negative. And then 2025 maybe is in the positive. And I'm just being honest. I mean, this is something that I struggle with in my life is keeping my thought life under control because I tend to think the negative most of the time. And so it's something over time that I've had to learn to control. 
and I've had to learn to adjust and fix and switch the way that I'm thinking. Because our thoughts influence it, how we feel. They influence how we react to other people. And it influences how we view the world around us just by the thoughts that we have. They're very powerful. Your thoughts actually can cause damage to your brain by the negative thoughts that you think. I mean, good thoughts, they bring life and they bring health and they bring healing and negative thoughts. What do they do? They bring worry, anxiety, and fear. But where do these thoughts come from? Who brings us the thoughts of peace and joy and happiness? Who gives us these happy thoughts? The Lord, right? The Holy Spirit. But who brings us the thoughts of anxiety, fear, and worship? I mean, not worship. <laughs> anxiety, well, fear, worry, worry is and worship. worry, and worry. Things. That's where I live. The, that's right. The enemy. The enemy. He does. And the enemy wants to keep us in a thought life of living in the doubt and the fear and the worry. He wants to keep us there, right? And so there are days, most days when I wake up, I get up in the morning and I get up and I go to the bathroom. And then when I come out, I turn and, and there on the floor is this little square. And it's just saying, okay, you need to step on it to see how much you're going to weigh today. <laughs> now I know that Run this away. little scale. Run away. <laughs> I know this little scale is very tricky. So if I stand on this scale and the number is right where I want it, then it's going to be a great day. However, most days when I get on this scale, it reads something that I don't want it to say a little bit higher than what I think it should be. And that moment, when I see those numbers that are a little bit higher, I immediately begin the negative thoughts in my brain. And, it's, and I'm just being real and I'm just gonna be honest. I mean, those thoughts that come in my brain are, oh, you're fat. Oh, you ate too much. You need to eat less. You know, you need to work out. You need to go to the gym. How is Mark gonna love you if you look like this? You know, these, I mean, I'm just, this is it. These are the thoughts that go through my brain. Now, I know that they're not the Lord's thoughts, but they're definitely the thoughts that I struggle with. I think a lot of women, we struggle with that sometimes. We struggle with the way we look. We struggle with the way the world perceives us. We, it's just something that we struggle with. And the negative talk and the negative stuff we fill our minds with a lot of times is very, very real. And it's very loud. And sometimes it's a lot louder than what the Lord says. And so a lot of times when I'm getting into this negative thought pattern about myself, I've already had a few, I've had about 45 minutes. I've put on my makeup. And then by the time he gets up, he's like, oh my gosh, what did I walk into this morning? Because it's already started a downhill cycle, a spiral. And because I started my day with those negative thoughts, then the rest of my day is just, ugh, you know, because I've allowed these negative thoughts to filter through my mind. Yeah, I want, I want to speak to that just for a moment because I think, you know, this is, I'll come back to this a moment and what I'm sharing, but I think especially on this subject, and, and I know we're talking about relationships, you know, as a whole, but just for a moment, guys, if you can listen in with me if you're married, um, one of the things that you really have to be very intentional about, especially, you know, we're, we're 22 years in, married, 23 years together, um, two kids, two teenagers. Um, you have to know what she needs from you. And if you're not giving her thoughts and words from, from your mouth that counter the thoughts in her head, those are the ones that take over. And one of the things that I, I just, I, sometimes I share this with, with guys if we're in a kind of a counseling set, you know, setting, but I have to, you know, recognize the attack of the enemy, 
But in the, on this subject in particular, one thing is that I always like to point out, you know, in this conversation, especially with with the guy's side of the equation, is listen, you need to protect that for your wife because number one, she paid a price with her physical body to have those kids, and ladies know after you have kids, it's just not the same. Like it 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 changes things, <laughs> right? Um, but she paid a price for us to have those kids. So I've got to be willing to work on my end of things, sewing into what I know that she needs, because I don't care what she looks like. We made this covenant, we made this decision to, to do it this way, but I also have to recognize what and know what she needs from me. And I have to be willing to give into that and to sew into that on a regular basis, because if you don't fill the air and fill her heart with the positive, it's really easy for the negative to take over. Yeah. And his positive words, I mean, of course, he's always sweet to come, you're so beautiful, I love you. And then those words help build me up and give me strength, like he does, it's awesome. So Romans 8, 6 says, so letting your sinful nature control your mind leads to death, but letting the spirit control your mind leads to life and peace. And so, you know, in the first scripture in Isaiah, it said, if we keep our thoughts fixed on the Lord, in this scripture, he's telling us to control so keeping our thoughts fixed on him, but then letting the spirit control our minds. Like we can let the spirit control our minds. We can let him move in our life if we give him control over that. Our thoughts, just like I just said with our story, it plays a big part in how we operate within relationships. I mean, we face conflict and communication barriers with our spouse, with parents and friends. And sometimes the thoughts that we have can lead to very destructive uh, paths and assumptions. I know when Mark and I, early on in our marriage, whenever he worked in the IT field, he would, there were times in his career where he would work really, really late and he would get home really late from work and I was home all day with two kids by myself and he would work late and over time it began, the thoughts started like, why does he get home from work so late? He gets home late all the time. He's never here with us. He must not want to be here. I'm just like, these are the thoughts that start going through my mind. And over time, you know, I began to believe these thoughts. Like, why doesn't he want to be here? Maybe he doesn't want to be here with us. And so one day I got upset at him and I just let him have it. I didn't filter anything. And he got home and I was like, you know what? There was no filter. No. (laughs) And I was, and I was, I was so upset. And I was like, and I asked him, I was like, why are you always working late? Why are you never home with us? I don't understand it. Like, do you not want to be here? And he just looked at me and he said, do you think I want to stay at work late? Do you think that I want to be away from my family? Do you think I want to miss playtime with my kids? He's like, I don't want to do that. And when he said that, it was like a kick in my gut. Like, oh my gosh, like I never thought about that side of the equation before. I'd only thought about the the negative side. Like he doesn't want to be here. Why doesn't he want to spend time with I never thought to consider he wants to be here. He wants to be a part of our life. And it really started changing the way that I thought about certain um, circumstances within our relationship because it opened up a door in my life and in my heart that, hey, there's another side to this. I need to start thinking about the other side. I need to start thinking about what he feels and what he's walking through. Philippians 4.8 says, so keep your thoughts continually fixed on all that is authentic and real honorable and admirable 
beautiful and respectful, pure and holy, merciful and kind, and fasten your thoughts. Fasten, like if you're fastening something, that means that you're locking it in. You know, if you fasten your belt or if you're fastening a container, like you're making it airtight, it's shut, like you're keeping it there. And keep, it says, and fasten your thoughts on every glorious work of God, praising him always. And we have the Lord telling us, fasten your thoughts, continually be fixed, control what you're thinking, like over and over again, God is giving us strategies on what we need to do with our thought life. And I love that it starts off in this last scripture about continually keeping your thoughts on what is authentic and real. Because a lot of times, our thoughts are not fixed on what is authentic and real. Because I'll tell you this, the enemy is, he's out there and he wants us to believe the negatives. Kind of like if you've watched cartoons with your kids growing up. I think it was probably on Bugs Bunny or something maybe. <laughs> and then I saw this, but it's true. Like on one shoulder, you have the little angel and he's like, you're amazing. You can do it. Try it. You know, and then you have the devil going, oh, you know, you're bad. I mean, but this is the way it is. We have, there is a force in this world between what is good and what is evil, the ugly thoughts, but yet the, the good thoughts, what God says about us, what he speaks over us, what he wants us to believe. Yeah, and one of the things that Elaine and I talked to, we've done this year, we got certified to do some premarital counseling type work, and we've done a few of our couples. And one of the things that we, we bring up often um, in the context of this exact discussion is there is, there is something that happens before you get married to after the ring comes on. And I know I'm talking about marriage again, but it's, it's really important that you kind of see this because there is an enemy of your soul that hates marriage. He hates it. And so pre-marriage, like you guys have all been there in the euphoria, right? Like she can do no wrong. He can do no wrong. Like, I'm sure she didn't mean that. You know, I'm sure he probably didn't mean to say that. He probably didn't mean to do that. Then the ring gets on the finger. It's like, he meant to do that. <laughs> she was trying to, you know, it, what's the difference? The ring and what's in your thought life isn't coming from you. Those thoughts originate from the enemy because he wants to keep us second guessing and questioning and, and turning over those really negative thoughts because it will, it requires us, just like Elena was just saying a moment ago, to, to fasten our thoughts to him, to, to submit our thoughts to him because if they come from him, they're true and they're loving and they're kind. Yeah, I mean, this is one thing that I had to learn is I had to learn how to control my thoughts. I had to control my mind. And I know that's not taught a lot about controlling what you think. Because most of the time when we have a thought, we just what? We just say it. We just spit it out. If we get mad at our spouse or if we get mad, what do we do? There it is. Like you just let them have it. There's no thought to what you're going to say. And you know, this, I feel like this is one of the biggest keys to Mark and I's marriage and the success that we've had in a marriage is a few, probably a few years ago, we did a class by Nancy Houston and she taught in this class about how to solve conflict resolution, like how to have conflict resolution within your marriage. And she said, what you do, I mean, when you, next time she said, this is what I want y'all to try. It's your homework. And she said, next time you get in an argument with your spouse, what I want you to do is to take a time out and I want you to step away from the argument or whatever it is that made you mad and just step away. 
And then I want you to go and I want you to think about what was said and how it made you feel. Calm down, you know, allow yourself to calm down and then go back and talk to your spouse about whatever it is that made you upset. And I just thought, there is no way I'm doing that. <laughs> there is no way I'm doing that. I'm not doing that. And so this Make is not going to work. It's not really going to work. Easy, but, yeah. yeah. And so it wasn't easy because I had to give up a part of what I thought was right, like my way. I had to give up my way in order to do it God's way. And so the next time we got in an argument or upset, I followed those steps. Like I went and I just thought, okay. And a lot of times, even to this day, he will not know that I'm mad at him because I've learned and I've taught myself to walk away, to step away. Like if he says something or does something like, okay, I'm going to step away. And sometimes depending on the level of whatever he did or said, <laughs> I love you. It's so true. Much. I mean, uh, I'm not, I'm not arguing. <laughs> I get mad at him a lot more than he gets mad at me. <laughs> it's so sad. Anyway, what I do is, but I've learned to Save just... Save that for a couple's therapy time. Know, right? we'll... <laughs> We're just being real. Y'all want us to be real, right? This is just real. And so... One uh, day I'm going to make you guys get up here and tell all your stuff. Right? <laughs> oh, Lord. I'm having a fun. Anyway, so... So the next She's not wrong, by the way. Just to I'm clarify. just telling the truth. But the next time we got into an argument, I put that into practice. I stepped away from the situation and I asked myself, okay, why are you mad? Like, what happened? Why are you mad? And then how did it make me feel? Like, did it make me angry or scared or jealous? Like, what, did it, what emotions was I feeling? And then I had to say, okay, and this is the biggest thing. I, have, I had to ask myself, what is real about this situation? Because I thought of a lot of things that were not real or not true. And I would have thoughts, and then I'd have to go, no, that's not true. That's not the way he is. Because, you know, oh, maybe he doesn't love you enough. No, he does love me. Well, how do you know he loves you? Like, these are the thoughts. Like, he does so much for our family. He works, and he provides, and he loves, and he, like, he does all of this. And it was this constant back and forth with my brain. I had to fight what the enemy was telling me, and I had to replace it with what God was telling me. But I had to get myself in a place to where I could hear that. I had to get myself in a place where I gave up my control to figure out what was God's control. Like, what did he want? And then I had to replace all those negative and untrue thoughts with the Lord's thoughts. And then, I, and it's amazing because by the time I did that whole process, when I got to the argument with him, I could go to him and I could just go, hey, babe, remember the other day when, we, when this happened? Can we talk about it? Like, I, it kind of upset me. And he was like, sure, let's talk about it. And so this is our argument right here. Like, to this day, this is how we argue. When we argue, this is the key. Like, this is what saves our marriage over and over and over again. Yeah, and let's just be honest. This is, this is not an easy step, right? Because for some reason, typically, I mean, really any relationship, but, you know, ones that where we're talking about adult to adult, um, for, some, for some reason, when we get in a major conflict, we go from adult to five-year-old in like two and a half milliseconds, <laughs> Right? Like we, there were very, very thoughtful, meticulous people can revert to that, like just in an instant. And it takes a, an acceptance of responsibility and it takes spiritual maturity. Yeah. And this is something that doesn't come naturally, by the way. This is something that what she's describing in this process that we've applied that we don't always get it right. But I can tell you that we've, we've had disagreements even this last week and they sounded just like that. Hey, when you did that, 
this is kind of how I, I saw it or how it made me feel. And we can have these conversations. And we, if the goal is coming to a, a positive outcome for both of us, that's real easy to get to if you both have yeah. that goal. If one of you has to yeah. win all the time, then that's where that wedge gets further driven in and you get further and further apart. Yeah, it's a constant flipping of your brain, of being aware. Because when you're trying to prepare a sermon and two people are very different in how you do that, it will test every part of your spirit. <laughs> it tests hers more than mine. It tests the fruits of my spirit constantly and I'm having to go, let it go. It's okay. It's okay. Okay, whatever you want. We can do this. We can do this. It's a constant flipping of your brain, <laughs> you know? And so... She, um, she's very organized and very thoughtful and planned out. And she likes to have... Like, I'm very freewheel. Like, we're going to, you know... I'm a procrastinator by nature that I constantly have to work against. But but our, our styles collide um yes. and and we've learned it's really it's gotten so much easier this last you know time or so that we've done it but it it requires a a humility yeah and it requires a willingness to be wrong um and to have those grown-up big boy and girl conversations yeah i mean and this just i mean this made a huge difference in our relationship and so I want you guys to apply this to your life like this week i want you to be aware what are you thinking where are your thoughts leading you? And when you feel like you have these negative thoughts going on in your mind, I want you to begin replacing all those negative with all the good. Like, what does the Word say about you? What does the Lord say about you? What does the Lord say about this situation? And then when you allow those thoughts to control, then you're going to be surprised what comes out here. It's going to be totally different what comes out here. And so I want you to ask yourself these questions. And I don't know if you have pen and paper, you can write them down, but um, ask yourself this, what is your thought life like? If you were to judge your thought life today, what is your thought life like? And number two, do you get caught up in assuming the worst or do you assume the best? Where, where are you at? And number three, how can you change the way you think about relationships? What can you do on your part to change the way you see certain relationships in your life? How can you change them? And then lastly, how much time do you actually spend praying about your thoughts and asking the Father to change the negative to the positive? Because I had never prayed about that. Never. Never had I ever prayed about that. And so I began to making it a habit like, God, help me. Help me see the positive. Help me see you in every situation. Help me to assume the best and not the worst. Change me. Change me, because we don't want to pray that. We don't want to pray, God, change me. We want to pray, change them. They're the ones with the problem. Change them, right? I mean, this is something I had to do. There was a, I had this happen in my life, and I was like so upset with this person one time, and God's like, there's nothing that you can do to change them. You have to let me change them, but let me change you. And my prayer was, change. Okay, change me. That's all you're getting. Change me. But then over time, it began, God began developing more and more and more prayer in a, in a more positive way in my life. And so I want to end this part of it by reading you Psalms 19, 14, and it says, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, what I'm meditating on, what I'm thinking, be acceptable in the sight of God. Oh Lord, he's my rock and my redeemer. And um, jumping into our, our second point, so Elena's question was, what are you thinking? Uh, mine is, what are you saying? 
what are we saying? So taking our thoughts from what we think in our minds to what actually makes it out. Um, how many have trouble with that sometimes? Okay. Anybody remember that, that little children's church song back in the day? Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. <laughs> Anybody remember that song? Um, this is, in our, in our lives, as human beings on planet Earth in relationships, the key to those relationships is right here. If we want to have positive, healthy relationships, we actually have the ability to affect that. And if you take a look at Proverbs 18, verse 20 and 21, it says, from the fruit of their mouth, a person's stomach is filled and the harvest of their lips, with the harvest of their lips, they are satisfied. The tongue has the power of life and death and those who love it will eat its fruit. So the question for us is what kind of fruit do we want to eat? Life fruit or death fruit? Uh, Jimmy Evans has a quote that I really like that says, your relationships will never rise beyond the level of your mouth. Um, it's, it's such a true statement <laughs> because we literally have that kind of power in our tongue. Um, so let me give you an example, life and death, right? Life. Honey, it looks like you've lost some weight. Oh, I love you. Thank you. Death. Honey, it looks like you've gained some you weight. You better stop running. <laughs> See, see how that works? Like life and potentially maybe literally death. Um, it would be death in that situation. <laughs> but, but you see the point. Like literally with our words that we say and we speak all the time, we have this, this divine power really given to us to affect the world around us, all the relationships around us. Um, you've heard it said, you are what you eat, but I'd also add that your relationship will become what you speak. And there was an example I heard. It's actually kind of a sad example, but it's so poignant and, and relative to what I'm talking about. Um, I actually heard it uh, quite a while ago, but it was about the story of, of a boy, a young boy and his father and their relationship. And his father, uh, over time, had given his son the nickname Stupid. I know. It, it is a real story. Um, the, in the dad's mind, he was thinking in reverse psychology terms that if I, if I say this to him long enough that it will somehow spur him on to want to achieve or to do better or to apply himself. And obviously, you know what happened. He said he spoke that over his son for so long that ultimately his son got into all kinds of trouble, got into drugs, and ultimately ended up frying his brain on drugs. I know it's a super sad, sobering kind of story, but it literally illustrates the power of our words. If, in our, our relationships with our kids, and if you have children, you have to be oh so careful about the words that you choose to use because they're sponges. How many of you in your, in your growing up can remember a time where your parents said something hurtful to you and it just, it's still to this day, you can feel it. It's because those are the most significant times in our lives in our development. And those kids are constantly taking in information. What we say to our children, we have to apply this, this scripture, this word to our daily lives with them. We have to speak life. <laughs> we have to choose to speak life and not death. Um, in Proverbs 18.6, this is one of my, my favorite scriptures that relates to people. Do you know people that are kind of hateful and negative people? Anybody know any of those people? All right. 
Um, Proverbs 18.6 says, The lips of fools bring them strife, but their mouths invite a beating. Um, anybody ever want to deliver a beating <laughs> to some of those people? <laughs> now, God didn't say that we should beat them. He said that it invites one. Um, so we'll have to take that up with him. Uh, but the point I'm making, if you look throughout Proverbs, actually, there's a lot of places where it talks about our, our speaking. And, and there's p- these pictures that are drawn with, sometimes it's better to be thought of fool than to open your mouth and remove all doubt. You know, those kinds of nuggets of wisdom that are, that are peppered throughout. But it, it talks about the power of our words and the use of them, the strategic use of them, life and death. Um, but unlike that person, God wants us, us to use our tongues to create, to bless, to encourage, to love. And Satan's always working on the opposite end of the spectrum because he wants to damage, destroy, curse, disable. He wants to cripple your life and the lives of other people. Um, Let's consider James 3 real quick. I'm not going to read the whole exchange here, but this is James. He's talking about these, there's these three metaphors he uses with our tongue, where he talks about a large horse steered by a bridle. He talks about a large ship steered by a small rudder and a small spark that yields this forest fire. And in all this imagery in this passage, passage, what he's talking about is the negative demonic power of this thing here if we don't submit it to the Lord. And if you look at verse 6, it says, The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, is, is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. You can't tame this by yourself. You have to have the Holy Spirit in your life. You have to, ha- you have to redeem your tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. Skipping forward, it says, out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. And can fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? This picture that, that James is painting here for us is the, the recognition that this has tremendous death-giving power. It has tremendous demonic power that we, we have to be conscious about. If we release it, there's no taking it back, right? Um, I could probably boil this whole point down to these, these two statements. Good words bring about good results. Bad words always bring about bad results. You can't speak good words and get bad results. And you can't speak bad words and get good results. It's the kingdom principle. It's, it's reaping what you sow. And we talked about this a lot in the last series, but it's true. This is a universal kingdom principle. If I sow hate, or if I sow discouragement, or if I sow ugly words, what am I going to get back? Right? In our relationships, that's, it's even more critically important because words have the power to create. God speaks and you know, if we look at Genesis, the first 25 verses or so in Genesis, God speaks and creates, right? God speaks, let there be light, there's light. We're made in the image of God. Are we not? We're made in the image of God. He gave us dominion here. When we speak here, we create. We create life or we create death. And we're, we have to recognize that as sons and daughters of God, we have to submit our tongues to him. Otherwise, we get death because that's what our d- default natures are going to speak. Uh, here's something I've never heard in counseling, talking with people, okay? And I've been a full-time pastor for about four and a half years now. I've grown up in a pastor's home. I've never heard this. You know, pastor, 
when my wife was cussing me out the other night and she was telling me what a dirty dog I was and how awful I was, you know, the light bulb came on. And suddenly I realized, you know what? She's right. I've got to change. And everything shifted from that moment forward. <laughs> You've never heard that because it's not possible. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and it's kind of a funny illustration, but it's really the truth. Um, we can't. We can't expect to speak negative, condescending, sarcastic, ugly words and expect anything to change. Literally, you've heard the definition of insanity, right? Doing the same thing over and over and over again and getting, expecting to get a different result. But how often in our relationships do we say negative things to the other party and expect something different back, right? Like, how slow are we sometimes? And I'm talking to all of us. But I've seen this so, so frequently. I've been in literal counseling sessions where they're hammering on each other back and forth. And like, well, if you do this and you do that, but you won't, and, you know, calling them creative names and, um, and, and expecting somehow that communication is going to all of a sudden shift the conversation and turn a different direction. It just, it's not possible. It doesn't work that way. Um, I love Jesus's words. And this is him talking to the Pharisees. Uh, in Matthew chapter 12, his favorite people group, the Pharisees. Um, but he's saying here in verse 33, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or else make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For a tree is known by its fruit. You are known by what you say. You are known by what you produce. Brood of vipers. That was just a term of endearment for the Pharisees. <laughs> How can you, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Yep. This is the truth bomb that Jesus delivered because he's talking about all of this stuff that's coming out of your mind, coming out of, you know, to your mind, out of your mouth. It, there's a source, and the source is your heart. How many have ever had one of those people that cut you down and then said something like, oh, just, oh, just kidding. You know my heart. You know my heart. Yeah, I do. I do know your heart. What came out first was your heart. Yeah. We have to look in the mirror. And we have to recognize that when those things come out, that should be a signal to us to go, okay, I, there's something wrong in here. Jesus is saying it out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth always speaks. Whatever's in there will come out. Sometimes it's in an emotional moment, right? Or a moment of Jesus talking about idle words. At the end of that exchange, he says, but I say to you that every idle word men speak, they will give an account of it on the day of judgment. How many want to hear that tape recording? Not me. Right? Like what he's saying to the Pharisees that they would never get, you know, but he was doing his best. What he was telling them is all this garbage you guys keep spouting is death. He's trying to, to speak life. He's trying to get us to understand that every word that we say matters. Every idle word. What's an idle word? Well, I hit my power slice into the woods on the golf course and it produces a word. Maybe I say it, maybe I don't. <laughs> right? Maybe I say something really mean and hateful to my, to my son. Maybe I say something really mean and hateful to my spouse. Those are idle words. And Jesus is saying, if you don't put those under the blood, there's going to be a day where you stand in front of me and give account for them. I don't know about you. I don't want to have that conversation. Here's the good news for us. Jesus has an erase button called his shed blood that if we'll ask him to forgive us, he'll erase it. Right? Amen? Yeah. 
But like last week, we were talking about apologies. I'm talking about repentance. It's the same. There's one same, especially this common denominator. I have to repent but change my behavior. Yep. Yeah. It's not, you can't just keep saying I'm sorry and doing the same thing over again. That is, Jesus doesn't hear it. We have to ask forgiveness and then literally do the about face and go the opposite direction. Because if we want that covered under his blood, we've got to submit our tongue to him. Amen? There are going to be people one day that stand in front of him that are shocked when it's played back for them. And I, well, I don't want any of us to be that person, right? Um, here's the good news. God's got that erase button for us. Here's the bad news. We as humans don't have a great erase button. So that's why it's so critical that we're mindful about what we say. Because I don't know about you, I grew up a little bit chunky. And I had a lot of name calling thrown my way when I was younger. And how many have ever been there, right? Okay. The words that hurt me weren't the people that I didn't have any friendships with. I could care less what they said. The ones that I remember to this day with the names of Fatso or whatever, whatever you want to use, there's, there's, there's a in, you know, surplus, <laughs> right? The ones that hurt that I remember to this day are the ones that were by my friends that caught me off guard in a moment. Why is that? Words are powerful. Words matter. They're not, the devil wants us to think they evaporate. They don't evaporate. They live on. Our words literally go out and they, they speak life or they speak death into the relationships that we, we are in every single day. My, my challenge to all of us, if you're struggling in this area, is to consider a different approach. If you've been struggling in your relationships, maybe it's with the kids, maybe it's with your spouse, maybe it's with a coworker, maybe it's with the relative that you saw this week that you avoided. <laughs> I don't know. But maybe try a different approach. What if I sow some words of life and see what comes back? What if instead of saying the obvious thing, and maybe they deserve it, let's just say they're a total tyrant, okay? If I keep giving out death, I'm going to keep getting it back. Will it change them? Maybe not. It'll change you, though. Yeah. It'll change your heart. Yeah. You're responsible for your heart, not theirs. But just because they do it doesn't give you the right to do it. Yep. That's never been truer than the current time and day and age we're living in right now. Amen. Um, Elena shared a quote with me yesterday I really wanted uh, to share with you from Lisa Bevere. It, said, don't, it says, don't criticize people's history, prophesy their destiny. Oh, that's, that's so preach. You might need to say that again. I will. I need to hear it twice. <laughs> don't criticize people's history, prophesy their destiny. What if we took that approach to our relationships? Um, you know, the, within all of these different relationship dynamics, this, it's the same principle. We have to choose life or death. It's in the power of the tongue. You know, we have, like Elena was saying, we have to really submit our minds to the Holy Spirit. Because left unchecked, it's just going to spit out whatever's in this heart. So we've got, we've got to address the heart, like we talked about the soils. We've got to allow the Holy Spirit to soften 
and to reveal to us and show to us the stuff that's not so pretty, that doesn't look so good. Amen. And I'll kind of tie up our time together with a story that, again, I'm sharing all my junk with you guys. Like I just, I feel... Welcome to the family. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Welcome to our living room. Um, but this is something that we, we struggle with. I say we, that I struggle with for sure. Uh, most of our marriage until really with the last, I'd say three to five years or so, um, longer. She, she's giving me more credit. Um, I feel like it's something, it's, it's been a journey, but, but here, I want you to hear this because the Holy Spirit, when I was really preparing and praying over this, this, this story, I felt like he said, there's a lot of people that need to hear this especially guys in relationships. But going back a long ways in our relationship, um, anytime Elaine and I got into a significant conflict, I put ourselves in the courtroom on opposite sides, and I decided I was going to win. And some of that I, I would find out later in my journey with Jesus came from a lot of insecurity on my part. Um, a lot of places and different seasons of my life and relationships and stuff that contributed to it because I was a very passive person growing up and I got ran over a lot because I didn't use my voice. And what would come out sometimes in those moments of conflict was that inner vow that I had made that I'm not going to be run over. And at all costs, I'm going to win this argument. Did I win the argument? No. I may have had the last word. I didn't win the argument. What I succeeded in doing is taking her voice away because I was quicker in those conversations and I could talk my way through it and I could deliver all the courtroom language and I could, I could even if I was dead wrong, I could justify my way into being right and I could shut her down. Many times I would be like, I, you just make me feel stupid. Mm -hmm. Like, you're just making me feel stupid. I remember saying that so many times. Like, I, I just feel like, and I'm not stupid. I would say that. I'm mm -hmm. not stupid. I know what I'm saying, but it's yeah. how he made me feel. Yep, and I, was, I wasn't calling your names, but I was doing something just as bad because I was making her feel like her opinion didn't matter. I was making her feel like what she had to say wasn't important or wasn't relevant. And I basically, in our relationship during the, the hardest part of this whole stretch, I rendered her unable to speak to me about anything that was going wrong in our relationship. She just had to just deal with it. And she would try different ways to come to me. But let me tell you, especially within a marriage conversation, but, but really this applies across the board. Your greatest friends, whether it's a best friend or whether it's is someone that you look up to in a mentoring relationship or a husband or wife, the, the most valuable relationships in your life need to have the ability to speak truth to you. You have to have a humility to receive it because so much of our marital issues and parenting issues and some of the things that we were going through different seasons of our life, she had so much wisdom to offer, but I didn't hear it because I was right and I wasn't willing to be wrong. What did that produce? Distance. Because every time there was that moment where she felt like she needed to share something with me or there was something that we needed to fix, she had to go around 15 different ways to try to get that to me so I wouldn't combat her or so that I wouldn't dismiss her. And I'm just telling you that from a place of honesty because I feel like especially in marriage relationships, especially with men and women, we struggle with this, guys. 
we have to approach those conversations. Our wives need something from us. And they have something for us. And if we're not willing to listen to them, then we're missing at least 50% of the picture. And we're driving half blind. And we're going to run into stuff. Because I don't know about you, but what I've learned in listening to Elena is there's a, there's a representation of her that kind of mirrors the Holy Spirit in my life. Because she'll get a check or a nudge or something that if I'll listen to it, it'll save me a lot of pain. <laughs> and money sometimes. <laughs> Amen. Um, but that's the way God made relationships to work. We need each other. And there isn't this subservient relationship between men and women where guys are over the girls and they have to do everything we say and that's not how it works. Yes, guys are the priest. We are the priests of the home, which means we're the head servant. And if we're constantly requiring being served and demanding service, we've missed the whole point. Jesus was the servant of all. He is our model. And if you're sitting around as a guy, not hearing your wife, demanding you get your way, I love how Jimmy Evans says this, a, a healthy marriage is two servants in love because we're constantly giving to each other. We're, we're seeing what, I see what she needs. It probably isn't what I need. For instance, she may need just some non-sexual affection, a hug or just a word of assurance or something. I have to be, I, I may not need that, but I, I have to know that she does. And I have to give that to her because that's what she needs. And then she looks over across the aisle and goes, okay, I know what, what he needs. He needs to feel respected. He needs to feel honored, right? If we'll learn to speak that language to each other, it shifts the whole equation because then we begin actively seeking out, I wonder what she has for me. What I had to learn is I, Elena has a lot of wisdom and she has a lot of experience that I don't have. And it's valuable. And so as I gave her more room to talk, guess what happened? the distance closed. And now we're in a situation like we described earlier where when we have conflict, it's just this. Like, hey, can I tell you something? Yeah, what is it? Hey, yeah, let's fix it and go, boom. And before it was six weeks of court depositions and, you know, <laughs> calling of witnesses and everything else. So we'll end right there. If you guys will stand. What Elaine and I really wanted you to hear from us today was just just a nugget of truth from God's word about your relationships, that you have the power to create, to create life, to create death. And you have the power within any relationship that you're in to be the difference maker. You can choose to speak life and you can change the whole dynamic. You can change the whole thing. Amen. Go ahead, yeah, If you bow your heads and just close your eyes, we want to end today with some prayer and two things that specifically we want to look at. So the first thing I want to ask, you know, if there's anyone here today that maybe you came today exploring, like you, you don't know Jesus, you've never asked him into your heart. You don't know him, but maybe you were drug here by a family member because it's Thanksgiving and you're just kind of staying over and you had to come to church. But there's someone here today and you don't know Jesus. Maybe you've never accepted him as your savior, but you want to today. Like something spoke with you during worship or during what we just spoke on and God's calling you. You feel that little, I call it a scratch. You feel this little scratch in your heart or you feel maybe the butterflies in your stomach. Your heart's beating kind of fast. These are all cues that the Holy Spirit gives us that He's talking to us. He's, he's calling us. He's beckoning us to Him. So if you don't have a relationship today and you want to, just raise your hand so we can pray for you. 
we can pray for you. And the second thing I want to talk to you about, and this is something I really felt like the Lord wanted me to say, is that there are those of us today that are here that, and we struggle with our thoughts. We struggle. We stay in this cycle of negative thoughts. There are people today that maybe you're thinking about ending your life. Maybe you're thinking you're not enough. Maybe you're thinking that no one will ever love me. And these are all lies of the enemy because I want you to know that your life matters. You matter. You are enough. You are beautiful. Like these are the thoughts that the Lord has over you. You are amazing. He has a plan for your life. He has a purpose for your life. He's called you. He's anointed you. He's given you a hope. He's given you a future. These are what the thoughts that the Lord is speaking over you today. And if you've struggled in this area of thoughts, I want you to just raise your hand. Maybe say, hey, can you pray for me this week? I'm struggling in this area. I need the Lord to help me with my thoughts. I need him to bring some peace. I need him to bring some clarity. I need him to show me how he sees me. Father, we just love you and we thank you so very much for your presence. We thank you for seeing us and loving us, and we thank you that your thoughts of us are always good. Your thoughts are always precious. As we go this week, God, about our daily lives, help us to think good things, to stay in the positive. Help our relationships with our spouse, God. This week, if we have moments where maybe our spouse or someone we work with has just kind of rubbed us the wrong way, God, help us to have words of love. Help us to have words. Help us to see people that need a positive word. Help us bring those people to our attention so we can give them an encouraging word. And we love you. We thank you so much, Father, that you are so, so good. Jesus name. Amen. Amen. Give Jesus a hand clap of praise for his word today. I'm going to invite our prayer team to come on down. Um, if you need prayer for anything, maybe it's in a relationship, but it can be just for anything at all. These are our amazing prayer team that would be excited uh, to, for you to come down and for, for them to pray for you. If you don't need prayer, then I'll let you guys go. But I want to warn you, it's almost December and it's getting crazy out there. So I want you to be real careful. Um, but know that we love you guys immensely. We're praying for you and we are here for you if there's anything we can do. And so uh, be careful on your way out. If you need prayer, come on down. Otherwise, we'll see you next week. Same bat time, same bat channel.